Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Tooping Pictures, and we have not stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the very often made-for-TV movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2001's Josie and the Pussycat. They were three small town girls with big time dreams. Who's a rock star? I am. Who wanted to share their music with the world. We can't sit around here waiting for it to happen. We are musicians. We too out there playing music. We do play. Nobody believed in them. You know, you suck. <laughs> but they believed in themselves. We're special. Yeah, special Ed. <laughs> now. In a world of tough competition. And that is so sad. Fate is giving the Pussycats the chance of a lifetime. We'd love for you to sign with Mega Records. How am I going to pull this off? I'm a girl from Riverdale. I'm not a rock star. Gotta believe in yourself. This may be the toughest gig they've ever played. Have you noticed that everything has sort of become all about Josie? Josie. 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 Josie! I made you a rock star. Tell me you don't love that. Forget it. You know, I never liked you. No matter what happens, we will always be friends first. You messed with the wrong pussycat. My bad. Josie and the Pussycats. And today we are so excited once again to have two guests with us, Sarah and Jenna of the Name Three Songs podcast. So welcome, Sarah and Jenna. Very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, Just a little bit about both of them. Journalist Sarah Fagan and digital marketer Jenna Million have spent more than a decade in the music industry, turning from fangirls to professionals. And now they co-host the fabulous Name Three Songs podcast created to challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. And we're so happy to have both of them here to talk about such a uh, formative film of the genre that we love to talk about that neither Audrey or I had ever seen until (laughs) this time so uh somehow somehow um shocking i know but before we get into the movie uh sarah and jenna can you just give us a little taste of both of your voices so we know who we're hearing how did your podcast come to be so hi i'm sarah um so basically quarantine got to me um and just the fact that like we weren't able to have anything to do with music anymore um Jenna and I both do concert photography and we met through um this collective called the photo ladies that just helps female concert photographers feel like we have more of a community um and we met in real life so I'm from New York Jenna's from Texas and we met in real life in England while I was going to grad school and Jenna was studying abroad so it's just like a crazy uh, a list of events that like led to our friendship but over the summer I was just getting frustrated because even though concerts weren't happening I still felt like everything that annoyed me about being in the music industry was continuing to happen on the internet um and I had like a frustrating conversation with like a male friend and I was up till like four o'clock in the morning and I was like just like ruminating on this conversation and I was like oh 
because I've been thinking of wanting to start a podcast. I was like, I can't do it on my own. Who would I do this with? And then the idea for this popped in my head. And I was like, Jenna and I have these conversations like all of the time about like sexism within the music industry, how artists that like fangirls love are not taken seriously and all this stuff. And I was like, we need to stick it to like those men who come up to you and are like, oh, you're wearing an Arctic monkey shirt. Do you even know what an Arctic monkey is? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not a real thing. So I called her and then the rest yeah. <laughs> So I'm Jenna. Um, and on my end, I hadn't heard from Sarah in a while. And then she just like calls me one day and she was like, I was up until 4am last night and I have an idea. And now we're starting a podcast. And I was like, Oh, we are. All right. Um, and Sarah was just like going off, rattling off ideas. And I was just like taking notes, which is like basically still how we work. Um, and so we both ordered microphones and the rest is history. Nice. Beautiful. So a big uh, overlap between both of our shows is like a love for the like fangirl culture in general, but especially like things that were very formative in the early 2000s. So other than Josie and the Pussycats, what would each of you say respectively is like your favorite pop culture moment or artifact or like memory of maybe your childhood or the early 2000s? Um, I have one. Uh, so the first CD I ever got was Britney Spears <laughs> nice. with that gold shiny background. Um, and I very specifically remember that. And I probably still have it somewhere, but like McDonald's kids meals used to give you like little toys. Right. And so one time I got a CD that was half Britney, half sync. And I'm pretty sure I still have it. And like, I just always (laughs) think about the CD. I'm like, how iconic was it to get a half Justin or half NSYNC, half Britney CD in a McDonald's kids meal in like 2000? I guess like just off the back of Jenna's story, because I feel like this is a funny one, is like my parents aren't super strict or anything like that. But other than listening to like my, my parents' music, we only listen to Radio Disney in my house. And so... I didn't like know that which is so weird because eventually I would just like sit at home like watch Fuse and take notes and like go on LimeWire and download stuff (laughs) but like um so I didn't know what any of these people looked like and I remember I really liked I Want Candy by Aaron Carter but the way that they said Aaron Carter I thought his name was Aaron Carter I thought Aaron Carter was a girl and I got like my first amount of like money from like chores or whatever and I went to Sam Getty and I was like I'm gonna buy this like (laughs) Aaron Carter CD and I couldn't find it because I thought he was a girl (laughs) again as we've said a million times we're going to be talking about Josie and the Pussycats today very exciting um but we also are going to have an episode coming out with name three songs very soon that's about none other than Lana Del Rey so you'll have to tune into that as well January 17th yes January 17th uh we just recorded it before this so we've had a we've had a we're very warmed up (laughs) as we speak right now now that we got all that out of the way and of course we'll include everything for name three songs all the social media information in the show notes for this episode let's get into Josie and the Pussycats so Audrey will you take us away Josie and the Pussycats premiered on April 9th, 2001, um, exactly 13 days before Shrek premiered. <laughs> and I thought this might be a good moment for Jenna to bring up uh, the music 
Um, um, my fun music facts? Yeah, the music facts. So in the movie, they reference both Christina Aguilera and TLC. And Christina in 1999 came out with Genie in a Bottle. TLC came out with No Scrubs in 1999. And both of them won Grammys at the 2000 Grammy Awards. Also, maybe one thing that we should talk about before we keep going is uh, Sarah. I know we're going to ask you a bunch about this movie, but just like a pre, like, like a, like a two sentence version of why you wanted to uh, do this movie with us. Cause we've never seen it. So this is my, my first real formative memory I have is seeing this film and how much it changed the whole trajectory of my life uh, to the point of by the time of the end credits, I looked at my mom and I was like, if you do not get me drum lessons, I'm never speaking to you ever again. (laughs) (laughs) That's really good to know because I can totally see how it could have made that sort of impact. So anyway, Audrey, please take us back to the facts. Okay, so this film was directed by Harry Elfon and Deborah Kaplan, who actually met at NYU Tisch Film School. <laughs> um, so they're a duo, and um, they're mostly writers, but they have co-directed this film and a few other things. Um, recently, they did um, Liza on Demand, which is uh, Liza Koshy's a YouTuber, if you don't know. She um, has a show. And then some of their others are called Can't Hardly Wait, Leap Year, and Maid of Honor. Um, so there's that. It was also written by Harry and Deb. Um, and there are character writing credits to Richard Goldwater, Dan DiCarlo, and John L. Goldwater. Um, I'm guessing that probably has to do with the comic world or s- some kind of crossover thing. Um, and... It's important to know that Josie and the Pussycats is the film version is loosely based on the Archie comic series and the Hanna-Barbera cartoon of the same name, Um, which I know nothing about. The only thing that I knew or that I even had associated with this movie before we watched it was that I thought that they had had like for some, something in my mind was like Scooby-Doo. I was like, they were on Scooby-Doo or they're affiliated yeah, with I think Scooby-Doo. there was a crossover with Josie and Scooby-Doo yeah. at some point in the cartoon was. world. I think that yeah. that, I think that's what I thought of. But um, yeah, also throughout the movie, at first when they were saying Riverdale, I was like, wait. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then when there was the throwaway line about the one yeah. being in the comic, I was like, oh, okay, we're in this realm. Now I understand. I love yeah. that. I love yeah. that line. She was like, they were like, why are you here? Like, I don't know. Was, I was in the book or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, the I, comic. I was like, so, SMH. I watched this for the first time like a few months ago when Sarah and I did a podcast episode for Name Three Songs. And like they start talking about Riverdale and I texted Sarah and I was like, Riverdale dot dot dot. And Sarah's yeah, like, yeah. yes, the comics, not Riverdale, the TV show. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so the plot synopsis, this one's from Rotten Tomatoes. Josie, Melody, and Val are three small-town girl musicians determined to take their rock band out of their garage and straight to the top while remaining true to their look, style, and sound. They get a record deal which brings fame and fortune but soon realize they are pawns of two people who want to control the youth of America. Yeah, not the best. (laughs) Not the best synopsis. (laughs) That synopsis does not do it justice. If you haven't seen it, don't, don't take that as like... 
whether or not you should watch it because I'll save my opinion. But yeah, <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> one of our favorite parts is reading taglines. So the first one is here, kitty, kitty, kitty. What? Yes. Uh, they gotta have the three kitties because you know there's three three gals, I guess. Uh, and then the second one is friends first, pop stars forever. <laughs> Deshore means family. <laughs> these are all bad. I know yeah. these these are not the most stunning ones we've encountered, but you know. They're not horrible. Who comes up with taglines? Like, is it a press? Like, is it? Because I know, like, sometimes, like, the trailer team is different than the movie team. So yeah. is the tagline team also separate? Because I, I feel like Harry and Deb would not do this to us. Right. I think, I think that it's <laughs> Yeah, they're the separate. Yeah, it's the marketing people, I think. Yeah, they're separate. They need some better marketing people. <laughs> yeah. Yes, they did. Not <laughs> They should have won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Audrey, what about the cast of this movie? Okay. Well, the cast is arguably one of the best elements of the whole thing. Rachel Lee Cook plays Josie McCoy, and Rachel Lee Cook has been... So for these things, we I always just kind of write in the things that I know, even though they might not be the most well-known work of that person. Um, I try to think about like our demographic and what we might know. So she was in She's All That, Nancy Drew... The, like, Emma Roberts one, I think. <laughs> um, and The Babysitter's Club was her first acting job in 1995. I thought that was cute. Um, and then we've got Rosario Dawson as Valerie Brown. She's been in a lot of things, and she was in a, sh- a show, I think, last year, a newer show. Tara Reed as Melody Valentine. She was in American Pie, Urban Legend, and The Big Lebowski. I love that those are Sharknado movies. Yeah, and all the (laughs) Sharknado. Yeah, her credits are so like iconic. They're just (laughs) all over the place, but but great. Um, And then my two favorites, I think, uh, are Alan Cumming and Parker Posey. So Alan Cumming plays Wyatt Frame. Um, And I love him in, Hannah and I both love him in the, like 90s Annie musical if you ever saw that and so he's so good at it he plays Rooster the like con man um he's in X-Men and Burlesque lots of musical things and Spy Kids which a lot of people our age remember him for and then finally Parker Posey as Fiona and she is in Scream 3, Batman Returns, Dazed and Confused, and all the Christopher Guest movies, Waiting for Guffman and Best in Show and all those. And I love her so much. Oh, you know what else, though? Han, do you want to talk about the... the? Oh, we can talk about the Clueless thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, how half of uh, Du Jour is the the boys from Clueless, which is thrilling when you, when you don't know that it's coming. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh it's both it's both of them and then the one guy is it ethan hawk is he the other one no it's some guy that looks like ethan hawk i who don't is, know who is who he? he is when it came to reviews of this movie i'm sure that we all know probably 
how critics approached this one. Uh, But Audrey, would you like to read us the actual numbers here? Yeah. Josie and the Pussycats got a 53% Metacritic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 52% audience score. So that's interesting because they're almost the same. Which is really Um, rare. A lot of times you see like huge disparity. Um, The audience likes it more than critics. Makes sense. Um, But in this case, I, I, I'm, it's interesting what went on here and we'll talk about that more, but, um, the film grossed 14 million at the U S box office, um, which in its first week, which is less than its production budget an estimated $39 million resulting in a domestic box office bomb. So sad. <laughs> yeah. So sad. Um, Yeah. But, you know, you look at the taglines, you look at the marketing strategy. It's like, it's not right. There's so many examples of that um, with early 2000s movies um, where the people marketing it are all men and they don't understand it and they don't, you know, know how to market it. We have similar conversations about the music industry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also... Hair, I I can't remember if it was Harry or Deb, but like in the vinyl, there's like an interview with them. Like, I guess it's 12 years after the fact. And it's like a discussion with Deb Harry, Kay Hanley, who wrote the music for the movie and Rachel Lee Cook. And they were saying how the, um, whoever put out the movie, it was like, it's a kid's film. They're from the Archie comics. And they're like, no, it's not a kid's film, but they marketed it as such. And I think that that's a big disservice because it's definitely not, speaking as somebody who saw it as a child, it's definitely not a kid's film. Um, But also like, I think that if older people, especially who liked music at the time had felt more like it was for them, which it was for them, I think it would have done so much better. Yeah, I was... um... I was under the impression it was a kid's movie until the sign where it's like, honk if you love pussy. And then I was like, (laughs) oh, okay, this is not a kid's movie. It's not a kid's movie. But I wasn't sure until that moment. So what are the things about the movie that you remember the most from when you were a kid watching it? I just remember, number one, my mother was horrified that she took us to see this movie. Um, thankfully it all went over my head and I just got the good parts but I do remember multiple times because I was nine so that means my sister would have been six (laughs) I just remember multiple times my mom like covering my sister's like eyes or ears or something at some point I remember that um but I just remember being like just so taken with like the colors and the music I thought the music was so amazing Mm -hmm. and like I had like I think the year following this movie was like when I got more into like the pop punk sort of side of things um but I just was like I had no idea music could sound like that and I was like this is incredible girls can play drums they can be in bands this is like the coolest thing ever and I just like as I said in the beginning, all I wanted when this movie was over would be in Josie and the Pussycats. I was like, I'm going to be Melody. That's what, like, I don't know why I picked her, but <laughs> like, yeah. this is who I want to be. And I just, yeah, I just remember being so like viscerally affected being like, this is everything I've ever wanted. <laughs> um, yeah. And I've just like carried it with me. Honestly, I got that feeling. Right. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we could maybe just get into it. This is an unprecedented... uh, (laughs) Like run, yeah, like 
record well, times. Yes. I, I, I think the thing that's so interesting is it's like because it didn't do well and because it was marketed to children but actually wasn't a children's film I think that like a lot of parents eventually just like looked over it because I mean even if you like watch the trailer just based off of like how they're dressed it's like you kind of are like do I want my kid to see this because it's not like an overtly like sexualized film or anything but I mean no one's wearing a bra there's no bras in sight yeah (laughs) Like, like there's just like a lot there that you're kind of like is this like that if you pay any attention that you'd be like is this a kid's film um but I just, like, I, I don't think I've mentioned this, but I mean, like, I watch this movie, like, once a year. Like, That's least. what I was going to guess. Yeah. And, like, it's just, like, one of those things where it's, like, as I've grown older, it just feels even more, like, has to be more precedent to, like, what I, what I do as my job and, like, what I do with my life and my interests and stuff. But also, like, as I grew up, like, having this movie where, like, it's all about the girls and, like, the guy love interest is like a two-dimensional character with like no personality except for he's like a gangly guy with a guitar number one is probably the reason of my taste in men but (laughs) but like number two I mean (laughs) like but number two it's like everything about it is very like girl empowerment to the Mm -hmm. point where I'm like let kids watch it who cares (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah I don't know. I just feel like it's way, it has way more, but I, I, yeah, I could talk positively about this movie for literal hours. <laughs> yeah. Well, why don't we just tell, I mean, I, it, cause if we haven't seen it, if we weren't marketed this movie when we were kids, that means that there's probably a lot of people that haven't watched it yet that are our listeners. So let's just say all of you out there listening right now, this movie's on HBO right now. So yeah. get get a password to someone's HBO uh, if you do not have it of your own legal means and go watch this movie and then we will be back soon and we will just have a long unpacking. And actually do it, okay? Actually, actually do it. watch it, it, okay? You mean it. <laughs> so important. It'll change your life. <laughs> You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. All right, everyone, I hope you had a really good time watching Josie and the Pussycats because I know that I did. Let's just start with parts that we appreciated in this movie. And maybe we can have Jenna go first because... Oh. Yeah. (laughs) Wow, so special. (laughs) I think this movie has a lot of, like, jokes that are really quick. If you're not paying attention, like, you'll miss them. So this was, like, my second time watching it. Um, number one, there's a monkey on the plane, <laughs> like a lot. Justin Bieber is like that monkey, which <laughs> I think is hilarious. Um, there's lots of code, like Wyatt does the code words of like, take the Chevy to the levee when they're like, he's going to like yeah. jump off the plane. And there's like another, there's a few more of them later in the movie. Um, 
we mentioned this earlier, but I love the the role of the sister and the brother's like, why are you even here? And she was like, I was written into the comics. And like, that <laughs> one's like another really quick one. I think it's funny. He compares them to like Christina Aguilera times three TLC with two white chicks or whole. <laughs> Very telling of like what was popular at the time and also just throwing whole in there. Mm-hmm. Um. Both Fiona and Wyatt give away their insecurities at certain points. And I didn't catch it the first time until the second time when I knew what the plot was. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then the boy, okay, the like the boy love interest, I thought it was very like reminiscent of the Princess Diaries. And like the the other boy, I think his name is Michael in the Princess Diaries. He's like playing mm-hmm. the keyboard. And it was like same thing of like, he like, it's like the friend and like he has a crush on her and he hasn't like told her. And then like he invites her to a gig and then she's too busy to go. And like, I thought that was really cute. It was like the very, like very parallel like moments there. The costuming I thought was really fun and enjoyable. And then the the party at like the, 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 the record label party, Fiona like pulls them into a room and like that whole scene is really weird, but I think it's her bedroom because it says like Fiona yeah. on the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I thought that was really funny. The whole time, Fiona just gave me very big Effie Trinket Hunger Games vibes. Yes. I thought the same thing. I was like, these characters are the same. <laughs> yeah. That's so true. And she even kind of looks like Elizabeth Banks. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I had that same thought. The like pink pink lashes and stuff like that, just pink, um, crazy outfits. I love the like feather outfit with yes. like, the feather sting yeah. too. <laughs> like your whole body. It was so good. I thought the aesthetic of the whole thing was just like incredible. Like I I just <laughs> I loved it. It was like the perfect combination of 2001, where the VFX, like where the visual effects of 2001 were at, which made sense. But looking at it now, it's like, it makes it even better. Like I, I love how, uh, like how it came together visually with all of the product placement and, um, and, uh, just like, it can look really shitty VFX wise too, because it is of a comic style. Mm-hmm. So like you, it, it just works perfectly. Like I wouldn't want it to be better. I really wouldn't want the VFX <laughs> to be better. I mean, there's nothing I didn't, honestly, there's, there was nothing I didn't love about it, to be honest. I think my favorite part, well, really two things. The first one is that Alan Cumming is just like a dream. Like, I just love him so much. Uh, Could not have been better casted. And I actually kind of think that he was sort of the glue that held it all together in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he's Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which leads me to my overall thing, which was that I feel like this movie is so of its time in so many ways, but especially in the fact that it kind of felt like Austin Powers. Did anyone else have that feeling? Okay, yeah, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Like, it's like not for kids, but you could accidentally think it's for kids and it's not actually that inappropriate, but it's just kind yeah. of like raunchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With like, a sprinkle of um the Scooby-Doo live action. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it had that. 
I feel like that sort of era of movies, even though they don't exist within the same universe, it feels like they all exist within the same universe. Yeah. Like somehow. <laughs> totally. Totally. And I will say that I laughed out loud watching this movie like a lot, <laughs> which I wasn't expecting. Like, uh, like the part where, um, Alan Cumming like steals the girl from the record shop and like chucks her into the van. Like I was so surprised and like just thought that that was so funny. Uh, but yeah, I thought, I thought it was very like stupid and funny and I appreciated it precisely for that reason. So Sarah, what are your, what are your standout favorite things? Well, these, these are things that like I've noticed like as I've gotten older and also cause like I've watched it more times this year than I've ever watched it before <laughs> is number one, Alan coming. So Wyatt is the only person is aware that he's in a movie. He keeps yeah. looking, he keeps breaking the fourth wall. And like, it's something that I've always been aware of, but I guess because I've watched it so close to each other for the first time in a while, I was like, Oh, he, why, how come he knows he's in a film? <laughs> like he was like so self-aware. And I think it's so funny because it's just like, Anytime he does something even slightly wrong, he like looks at the camera like knowingly. Yeah. And I feel like at, for first time viewers when like you don't, you like know something's up, but you don't really know something's up. I feel like that must be so jarring to like have him be doing that because you're like, what's he telling me that I don't know yet? So like there's like this suspense <laughs> yeah. factor that I don't have, but I know other people probably have. So that's really enjoyable. I realized that when... So, like, the girls in the beginning of the movie, after Josie and them play at the bowling alley, they, like, come and make fun of them. And they're like, is the best band. They have this new album, whatever. Like, you guys are never going to amount to anything. And then once they get their success, they show up at their hotel. And they're like, we know you. And Alan Cumming is like, oh, like, don't you love that? And he's like, most people only get that at their 10-year high school reunion. And I was like, oh, my God, Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. And <laughs> he plays the character who was, like, a sniveling loser nerd in that movie. And then he, like, comes back and is, like, this rich, like, sexy man, whatever. And I just thought that was even funnier because, like, at the ending, it turns out, like, he was kind of that kind of character originally in, in Josie. And I was like, it all ties back. <laughs> so it's that same thing of, like, do these all exist in the same universe like what's yeah. happening here um and also just the product placement there were yeah. over 30 brands in this film and it's just like hilarious because there's part of me that's like did they pay for that that's <laughs> like, what I was gonna ask I was wondering like that I that's the genuine question I have no idea the answer to of like I would assume they had to have some sort of deal, but I guess, like, I can't remember what yeah. company, like, put the movie out, Who? but, like, it's just insane because there's just, like, bounce detergent, Target, Starbucks, like, and I then, love then even McDonald's bathroom. <laughs> I want yeah. a McDonald's bathroom. <laughs> the McDonald's, but also the thing that was so funny and, like, Another thing I noticed as I've grown older watching this movie is like their version of New York. It's like very clearly not real New York because when they fly in from Riverdale and it's like instead of the Twin Towers, which is wild, there's the McDonald's M, which yeah. is insane because like this could have been one of the last movies to come out with the actual New York skyline. And instead it's like New York brand metropolis. And it's yeah. so insane because I like yeah. it was something I noticed before but I really noticed that like this past time because I was like paying more attention and I was like this version of New York is so wild 
because mm-hmm. it's just it's just bringing home the whole like we're trying to brainwash malleable teens <laughs> right insane. right we've established that this movie is a holy text right we <laughs> yeah. love it we love it no matter what however what parts uh sarah and you can start us with this one too what parts do you think are worse now or what parts uh do you not love but not the problematic section because we will still get to the problematic section i mean i don't i don't know (laughs) i don't know um because genuinely i think every time i watch it i'm like wait this is so much better than i (laughs) um because there is like all of that just like friendship first like de means friendship de means family (laughs) it's like the whole thing and like that they always come back to each other. I do think that they figured out the brainwashing thing too easily once they figured it out. Um, like, I would think that, like, these masterminds that they're working with, like, the FBI and foreign governments would be, like, a bit better at hiding this than, like, yeah. <laughs> like letting your CD skip and you, like, hear Mr. Movie Phone. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, that one point where I'm like, oh, somebody was trying to make this a child's film so that kids would get it. Like, yeah. I don't know what's going on there. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I feel like everything is weirdly like truer to form than I ever thought it was to the point where I'm like, is it like, I'm like, why do people hate it so much? And I mean, we talked about this on our podcast episode about it was that and like, we love a good conspiracy theory is partially like they were talking about something that wasn't being talked about at that time of like the way that pop, music was being utilized to kind of like affect the way teens view themselves and others and so there's like part of me that's like TRL stop this from happening which is ironic because TRL tried to stop this from happening right right (laughs) right yeah um yeah I guess the other thing that I think is really unsettling is like the Carson Daly (laughs) trying to murder them because I don't know Mm -hmm. if you guys know this but Carson and Tara dated in real life and they had like a very tumultuous, I think, abusive relationship. So we did not know that. I didn't know that. This changed things. Yeah, so they dated in real life. So did they date before or after? I can't remember. Honestly, I want to say after because that would be that would be better. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't recall, but I do know that they were dating and that they like had dated for a while and that their relationship was like questionable. Wow. They, <laughs> like all this a- stuff. Apparently, they split up January sixth, two thousand six. Oh my god! So they were together a while. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So I feel like that scene, like I feel like just the thing of like. Um, how they clearly wanted DeJour to not fight and then the fact that they tried to like split the girls up I thought was weird because I'm like wouldn't it be better for you guys in the brainwashing business for like them to get along so they're not paying attention to anything else whereas like yeah, at least I- they're acting out of character yeah so I feel like that's really it that I could like yeah. nitpick if that's I wanted fair, to though. that's very fair you know um, what line I did appreciate though? That um Scorpio Cancer line. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um Audrey or Jenna, parts that were worse slash parts that were not great. The only thing that kind of like I wish there was more was that I feel like the plot moves really fast. 
And that, like, I didn't get a chance to really, like, know the characters. I just feel like everything is sped up throughout the entire movie. And it feels like there's a sense of urgency. And, like, it works because it is it, it is very, like, over the top. It is very satirical. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Every, like, the, both of the times I've watched it, it just felt like I wanted something more. But, like, pacing-wise, I didn't think it was awful pacing-wise. I thought, I thought... It was moving fast like a comic moves fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I could totally see that um, being a critique. I didn't, obviously it's hard for me to have a worse thing because I've only seen it right. once. Right, Um. So yeah, I, I, I'm kind of fresh out there, but I have something for the problematic section. Yeah, but- I I have one one thing that I think is not necessarily problematic, and then we'll move into that one, which is just that uh, the whole time I was expecting for um, Mel to have like a like a genius breakthrough. Like I thought that I was like waiting for that punchline the whole time, like that she would be the one who like figured out the brainwashing or something. Yeah, like, <laughs> and, and then she never had her moment, and I was like, wow, <laughs> damn. But other than that, I I mean. The, other than that, that was really all I had for that. I the think. queen of the bimbos. Literally. Not, yeah. Literally. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. There was one other thing. There was one other thing, which was when Josie get, takes the, the remix of the song and brings it to the studio and literally just has a CD, <laughs> but she puts it in the mixer and is like it's adjusting so the levels. I'm like, that's not how a CD works. Like, you can't do it that way. Yeah. Uh, and that was just funny. But other than that, I mean, I was along for the ride. Like, I'm yeah. not going to nitpick that really, but that was, I had like three things written down and that was one of them, so... Obviously, when you when you are getting into the dated slash problematic section, when it's a comedy and it's a comedy from 2001, you kind of know what you're getting into, like where humor was at that time. And you can't watch it with 2021 um, <laughs> eyes and be like, I'm judging this because of this humor. Because um, that's where they were. But I was curious about... Um, like Rosario Dawson's character's arc and if it was the same as in the comic books and if there was underlying or overt like discrimination there. Mel isn't really, she doesn't really care that much. She's like off in her own world. I'm just curious what you thought, what you think about that and like if it even is like racially motivated or just if that's irrelevant. So I think from, because, like, I wasn't a huge, like, Archie Comics fan, but from what I remember of the comic stuff, I don't think that their personalities were as strongly as they are in, like, in this film. I think that they kind of took a bit of, like, creative liberty there. Mm-hmm. I feel like, my, like, my thought process when I watched this is that he was pushing Val to the side because <clears throat> Mel was too stupid to be able to realize. And so it seemed right. like for so, that he was trying to put a wedge because I think that there's like this trope within female rock bands. And I know that this is like well-known with like the runaways where the runaways manager was like a fucking creep. Like he was a bad man and he 
would like pit the girls against each other and always try and like keep them at odds so that they were all trying to perform their best and outshine each other. And so I feel like it was more of like a music industry trope because I feel like a lot of the film had these like hidden music industry like stigmas and tropes within it that you don't realize until unless you have anything to do with that um, or like care about like rock history or that sort of thing. So from my perspective, it felt more like he was going for how like there's always going to be like that front person that has more attention and how if you pit them against each other, then they're going to try and outshine each other and they're like, it's going to keep them in the spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah so I'm not I, sure. I thought that worked. I thought it worked. And I, I understood that as well, like as what they're um, trying to portray. But I was just interested in that because I know that I looked up like the comic and her character is black in the comic as well. So yeah. I just... I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I kind of felt like I totally agree with everything Sarah said. And at the same time, like the scene, one of the things that I was most confused about was the scene where um, Val is in her hotel room and she's like watching the documentary about like the man who got kicked out of his band and he's black, but then there's like an American headdress also. Yeah. And you're like, what's happening? What are they trying to... Like, it, like it felt... Like, I un- Yeah, understood it on the surface. Yeah, but it was kind of murky, like, what yeah. the actual thing was. Like, so I wasn't sure if that was true history. Like, I don't know if that was... Because if it's true history, then I guess maybe it was just, like, the closest way for her to feel. Because it's, like, somebody that... It's, like, very 2001 of, like, she can only relate to somebody that looks the same as her, was, uh-huh. I guess. But I don't know. Because if it's fake, then obviously there's, like, something else going on here that we are like sort of aware of but aren't but if it's an actual like real thing that maybe happened I have no idea Mm -hmm. so that's the only thing I can think of was like if it was real then maybe it's like oh like she can maybe relate to it but if it's not real then maybe it is like a race thing of them trying to have that conversation without having it of being like yeah that's when you're othered (laughs) I don't know yeah that's kind of the impression I got because they like touched it but then like didn't didn't really touch it and I also thought it was really random that like Carson Daly was gonna kill Tara but then (laughs) like I just oh yeah the fact that it was like the only other like black person in the whole movie was there and then was gonna kill her I was just kind of like what is this what like that just kind of sat strangely with me um But at the same time, again, it's a lot of, like, having the conversation without having the conversation. So, yeah. I don't really know. But, um, yeah, that was murky. But what other impressions did we have of things? I, I personally loved growing up and realizing what the song Backdoor Lover by DuJour is about. <laughs> and re- <laughs> I'm realizing, <laughs> realizing how vastly inappropriate and uncomfortable it is that the movie starts with them screaming <laughs> girls screaming it back at them in like a I want it that way music video set up yeah 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 <laughs> so it's like problematic but not you know because yeah. like it's not hurting anybody but it's just one of those things where like somebody nowadays if that was a song in a movie would have like held some sort of rally against it or something. Yeah, right. I think the way that Audrey framed it, which was like, it was 2001 and it was a comedy. And so it's going to be what it's going to be. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that that's 
a, a good assessment, especially because again, <clears throat> most of the movies that we cover on this show were made for kids. So there's like a lot mm-hmm. more stuff where you're like, should that have been in a kid's movie? And this wasn't a kid's movie. So yeah. And this isn't different. that. I just loved how honestly like comparable it is to um, fanhood now. Like, I really do feel like it rings very true now and has only gotten more relevant with time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess I'm kind of, I'm going into the the last section, which is, is this movie good and worthwhile? And I think it definitely is. I think it's, overall, it's aging like a fine wine, I would say. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And um, I, I love to like, imagine a world in which the like opinions and um preferences of teen girls would be like that valued by the government like (laughs) I just love that imagining that kind of world and I'm I'm glad that it exists yeah the fangirl when you're talking about the when you're talking about DeJore a minute ago it's like the fangirl scene at the beginning is like yeah it's still like that yeah yeah definitely (laughs) that was like it's point spot on for that fangirl scene mm-hmm. i i wrote down when i was watching it i was like i just wrote this opening just the just the up close shots of the fangirls i it reminded me of your podcast because that's like such a that's like the thing that you talk about so often is like that level of enthusiasm and like where yeah. it comes from and like that over time i just that struck me very deeply. Um, and I will also say, I totally agree with Audrey that it does seem to be aging like a fine wine because there is this, like, this is what I thought of when I was watching it. Like, because of like, again, let's say we're going to talk about like Ariana Grande, like she's someone that we feel like we know really personally because of how her music is. And there's almost a way where you're like, oh, she has so much creative control over her music. But at the same time, there are like shareholders and there are millions of dollars and there are so many people whose livelihoods are built into her career being what it is. And it's like, oh, how much is it actually authentic expression when you are making like billions of dollars? Uh, And just thinking about how like corporate interests are, if they are there, which they certainly are, are like so much deeper nested in than they were in the past. I just found that to be really interesting to think about. Yeah. I think the whole, just the whole premise is really kind of funny because if you think about like advertising in 2001, I mean, like the internet started in like 1993 and the internet, you know, then looked very different than it did 10 years later. So I I feel like like my impression of like my childhood was remembering like so many commercials on TV and like pop stars sponsoring products like the Got Milk commercials or like sneakers um, or Skechers, stuff like that. Um, and so I kind of like wish I was like older at the time and can go back and be like in that cultural moment and <laughs> watch the film. Yeah, me too. Because like, I-, I just think they were like kind of like taking the piss out of like what advertising was at that time of like the the inundation of like the internet and like the digital world. And it's very much that like 2000s, like this is what the future is like type uh, feeling to like New York City. Well, I think, and like, so we did like an episode of name three songs about Josie and just how it correlates with the music industry. Um, And like, I just think it's so interesting how like 
obviously at that time, like Jenna said, like celebrities were hawking goods. They had brand deals. They had those things. But like, obviously now with social media, they all have even more like branding and all of that. And so in the same, like, there's so many ways that this movie is aging well in the fact that like, if I was to like, let's say teach a music business class, I could show this film and be like, please write an essay telling me how this pertains to like how the music industry works now, because like these artists just have so much power and it's so insane that like what fans are willing to do for like the artists that they love and like the end of the movie, how Josie's kind of like, once they figured it out and they turn the whole thing off, she's like, I need you guys to take the cat ears off. Mm -hmm. And they just like all do it in this like robotic motion where it's like, but that's the other thing that's like so funny about this is it's like they're full dead ass like brainwashed like it's not just like Mr. Movie Phone being like you want to wear orange like please buy Prada or whatever the hell he's saying like they're genuinely brain like it's like like that's the thing it's like insane how much power they're like giving these artists through what they've done in this film but also like how much power artists have in real life to like what people do um yeah so it's just like it's so crazy how much it like correlates with actual things I'm curious what your opinions are on what the message of this film is regarding being a fan of things like having having a grain of taking everything with a grain of salt of like knowing where you stand personally and like yes you can love and adore an artist but also like not so much so that you lose like who you are and you just follow everything they do and as we learned in our Lana discussion that can lead to like the artist doing some problematic things that you maybe necessarily don't want to follow in the footsteps of yeah yeah, no, I th- I think that that's a lot of it. I think that in some ways it's a celebration of like these fans who just like will do whatever they need to do to make these artists be popular. But I think it all it also is like being like be conscious, be aware because just because your favorite artist is doing something or saying something doesn't mean that you need to like do or say the same thing as them. So I feel like it's just a very, it just teaches lots of good lessons. <laughs> it really does. And how like um, art uh, that starts from a really genuine place um, and like a place of really needing to make it for an artist can so quickly become um, commercialized and like you can lose your passion for it because of all these outside interests when all you really wanted to do was make this one thing um, that you liked and you only care that you like it. You don't care what anybody else thinks. And that's really what, that's really what it's about. It's about their friendship and like, and it kind of is just a female friendship movie like mm-hmm. at the end of the day, which is my favorite type. So it's great. <laughs> I, I think also the thing that I find so amazing it's like even though it did so badly like at least women like my age and older like it viscerally affected so many of us where I know a lot of people who were like not personally just like that I follow online who are like music journalists or working music who will wax poetically about this movie Mm -hmm. and it's just like this thing that just makes me feel really happy because I'm like oh like other people have this like feeling and like when I show the movie to friends and they have the same feeling about it um but I just think it's incredible that a movie that did so badly has a 
a soundtrack that went gold and people enjoyed so much that they remastered it and printed it as a vinyl in 2013. Mm-hmm. So it's like this wild thing where like this movie that's about like fans being so devoted to something that they can get brainwashed by it. And essentially they did that to <laughs> us. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, they hit all the nails on the head and then we're just like, take my money, take my yeah. praise. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I will never shut up about your film. Love that line too, where they're like, oh, just kidding. We found out subliminal messaging works better in movies. <laughs> Yeah, I love yeah. that. And then they have their little break the fourth wall moment there too. Um, yeah, it's a system that completely works. And like we're, we all know it exists. Like we're, we all know of it. And yet it's just a fun, it's just a fun thing. Oh, wait, I just thought of another thing in Spy Kids when the like, I don't even know those characters are like being held captive on that like children's TV show. Mm-hmm. They like go and they play the soundtrack backwards and they're like, help us, save us. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just speaking of subliminal messages. Same universe, baby. Same universe. <laughs> cool. Well, do we have any, any final takeaways? I feel like there's, I will, I guess I would like to say that like what Sarah said, movies can be flops and still make a huge impact on a really specific audience. And that is kind of what we're all about talking about. So I'm so glad that we were able, as in me and Audrey and Jenna, to a certain extent, were able to discover a movie that, that occupies a similar pocket because we love that sort of thing. So so, Sarah, thank you for bringing it into yeah, our lives. I'm so glad. I said, to, <laughs> I said to Jenna, I was like, we're fast forwarding friendship at like a thousand speed because they just get it straight away. <laughs> yeah. But I, totally. I don't know. I feel like it's one of those things where I joke where I'm like, if somebody tells me that they don't want to give Josie or the princess a bride a try I'm like I can't trust you and then if they watch it and they're like I don't like this I'm like were you paying attention were we watching the same film and these are like the two movies that are like very like weirdly polarizing to some degree for some reason even though like obviously the princess bride did way better than Josie did but like I just feel like they're the same weird tongue-in-cheek sort of comedy where I'm like if you don't like this you don't understand how to exist yes (laughs) get on it yes yeah, we all have our movies like that. Truly, <laughs> truly. Okay, well, this was an incredible experience. Thank you both for joining us. Um, and again, if you enjoyed this conversation, Jenna and Sarah have their own podcast called Name Three Songs, and you should make sure to listen to their show too. Um, Follow them on TikTok where we discovered them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, what's your... Uh, TikTok handle and just like share your other things. We're name three songs on all social media. So it's the numeral three, not typed out. Um, so we're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. Um, we're, I guess, like the most active on TikTok because apparently that affects pop culture way more than anything else, mm-hmm. um, which is really fun. But yeah, we're super active. Our DMs are always open if you have hot takes. <laughs> For those of you out there listening, we have one more episode of this season. We're excited to bring it to you very soon. And until then, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover dash cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at tupingpictures.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at tupingpictures and would love to hear from you there. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share an episode of your choice with your friends. And maybe even leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts and is edited and produced by me, Hannah Ray Leach. Special thanks to mixing engineer Sean Rule Hoffman and executive producers Michael D'Aloya and David Moss. Our show music is by Josh Perlman Hall. We'll chat again soon. Bye. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.